Well, here we go. Let's do this, the new and better podcast. Here's the tease. And he says to them, there are some of you standing here right now who will not taste death until you've seen the kingdom of God after it has come with power. That's a problem if you think that the kingdom is not going to come, it has not yet come, and is future to us here 2,000 years after Jesus said those words. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital booyah base. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant. A better covenant based on better promises. So, check your religion at the door. Grab a beverage. Grab a Bible. Strap in. Gird your loins. This is the New and Better Podcast. Three key truths that we're going to look at uh, tonight, and we're going to see them in the Word. One of them is that the kingdom of Jesus is present, the kingdom of Jesus is progressive, and the kingdom of Jesus is power advanced, or advanced by power, or through power. So, let's take a look at that. We see it in Jesus' kingdom parables. Uh, Jesus taught two different kinds of parables. It was in his prophetic ministry uh, to that generation of Israelites, that generation of Jewish people. Uh, some of his kingdoms, some of his parables were trying to teach people about how the some, some of the Jewish people were going to listen to his message and respond. Others were going to reject it. Wheat and tares, uh, the prodigal son and his uh, brother. Many of these parables were about that. But some of Jesus' parables were trying to explain to them what the kingdom of God was like, this, this kingdom that was, that was emerging. Uh, his preaching was the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of heaven is near, it's nigh unto you. Over and over again, his preaching was about this imminent kingdom, and frequently he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a tiny little mustard seed. But when it's planted, it grows into a plant, and soon that plant grows and becomes the largest tree in the garden. And even birds of the air and other creatures can come and take refuge in it. Another time he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like uh, a, a person takes le uh, yeast and puts it in a loaf, leaven in a loaf. It's just a little pinch. The loaf is really big and it's just a tiny little pinch of, of yeast. But yet soon that yeast spreads and permeates the entire loaf. On another occasion, uh, Jesus uh, said, the kingdom, the kingdom is like a man who scatters seed. He sows seed and he waits and it rains and he's not sure how, but soon it grows. It grows up into a, into a crop. So numerous of Jesus's parables also show this, this progressive, unfolding, growing nature. Are we starting to get a, are we starting to get a picture here of how God works uh, in the earth? Again, definitive, progressive and unfolding, and then ultimately consummative. Now, I said that the, the, the historic view of the kingdom of Jesus is that it's present. In other words, he is a king today. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We've already seen that he said all power and authority has been given on 
to me uh, so that he's a king now. We have also seen that it's, his kingship is present. It's unfolding. Now I want us to look at the fact that it's power advanced. In other words, there's this linkage between power and uh, the rule of Jesus Christ. We saw a moment ago, his, his final words to the disciples were, you know, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In Mark 9, 1, he's talking to his disciples. This is right before he goes to the cross. And he says, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. He's talking to a group of disciples of various ages, and he says to them, there are some of you standing here right now who will not taste death until you've seen the kingdom of God after it has come with power. That's a problem if you think that the kingdom is not going to come it has not yet come and is future to us here 2,000 years after Jesus said those words that he said to people who were standing in front of him that they would not taste death until the kingdom of God comes. Yes. That's a problem. And he makes it clear that the coming of the kingdom of God has, uh, has a power component to it. Well, the witness of Scripture is that the kingdom of God came on the day of Pentecost. What did Jesus say? Tarry in Jerusalem, wait until uh, the promise of the Spirit uh, comes. Then you shall receive power. The, the, the day of the founding of the kingdom of God on earth, of Jesus' rule on earth, was the moment a Holy Ghost-filled man or woman could channel or, or be a conduit for the Spirit of Jesus Christ, for the Spirit, and, and change things on the earth. That is the day that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, His rule, began on earth. And it began to almost immediately, it began to spread and unfold. You have 120 people in a room. The Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they are filled with the living Spirit of God in a way that only one other person had ever been on planet Earth, and that was Jesus himself. They become filled with the Spirit of Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God. Gifts begin to manifest out of them, supernatural, miraculous gifts. They begin to operate in power. They walk outside, begin to speak with other tongues because the Holy Spirit's empowering them. That's a power gift. That is a power manifestation. And then Peter preaches the very first Holy Spirit-inspired sermon to a gr group of people who gather. And, and almost immediately, by the thousands, people begin to respond to that outpouring of power, to those gifts being manifested, and the kingdom of God begins to expand. They, too, become filled with the Holy Spirit. They, too, begin to receive and operate in power. And that power begins to spread like a shockwave out from Jerusalem. Let's fast forward to Paul. Let's see what Brother Paul has to say about this. Uh, we've heard from Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Don't be shy. The kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Paul doesn't seem to be under the impression that the kingdom is a future thing to his time. 
Paul seems to be operating under an assumption that the kingdom is a present thing and that when he's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the, that's the true that's the true expression of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, it's, it, it represents, that's, that's how the kingdom expands. Let's also take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, let's go to verses 19 through 23. Uh, this is where Paul is he's praying his prayer that the eyes of their, their understanding would be opened, that their spiritual eyes would be illuminated. He says, uh, I pray that this and that and... What is the surpass that you would understand what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward those of us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might notice he says the greatness of his power and the strength of his might we're talking about power here which he brought about in christ which he when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all is does that sound like Jesus's rule is present or future let's let's look at the presentness of what uh, of what Paul's saying here is that Jesus was seated, essentially it's a, it's a throne, it's a throne position, uh, at, the, at his right hand, and in that chair he is above all other rule, authority, power, and dominion, and names. And, and just in case we're, we're, uh, we're, we're um, confused about whether Jesus has an earthly present his rule has an earthly present manifestation, says not only in this age, but in the age to come. I don't think Paul could have conceived uh, that ultimately there, were, there would be a, a millions of Christians who believe that Jesus' rule isn't, doesn't have present physical implications because he's got it backwards. You know, today we have to say, you know, not only in the age to come, but in this age. No, nobody, no believers in the evangelical world doubt that Jesus is going to be ruling in the age to come. Everybody agrees on that. What most believers today don't understand is that it's in this age. He's, he's above all rule and authority in this age. He's above all, all power, all name now in this age. And just in case we're still fuzzy about the fact that it has present real world implications he adds this is jesus that's ruling and then he says he put all things in subjection under his feet please note that phrase and gave him his head over all things again that's ruling headship over all things to who church. the church which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. Hey, uh, loads of good stuff up ahead, and your gateway to that yummy goodness is a just a little sidebar that we call page two. Let me quickly remind you about my devotional called Praying Grace for Women. Here's why I, a dude, wrote it. Far too many Christian women, beloved daughters of God, are spread too thin. 
exhausted, stressed out, burned out, or living with chronic anxiety. And for many, prayer has become a fruitless, frustrating, joyless exercise. Yet another box to check, another duty to perform. Well, I have wonderful news for the weary feminine soul today. There's another way to pray, a more effective way that produces a refreshing, life-giving connection with God's love, grace, and power. Get ready to discover grace for rest, grace for intimacy with God, grace for peace, grace for breakthrough, as well as the keys to praying from strength rather than struggling for strength. Okay. Now, back to the life-transforming content I'm serving up absolutely free of charge today. I don't know how this could be more clear. That Jesus' rule is present, it unfolds, grows, manifests, uh, and a day is coming when it will be consummated. Uh, Colossians 1 Verses 11 and 13, Paul takes right in between there in verse 12, he takes a little rabbit trail as he is wont to do from time to time. Uh, Colossians uh, 1, uh, Paul says, strengthened with all power. This is again his prayer that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is power again. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So again, here we have the pairing of the kingship of Jesus and power, and we have the presentness of that kingship through us and to us. This is why dispensationalism has been so damaging to the church's influence and effectiveness. By moving the king's rule, the kingdom, to the future, they've removed the purpose of power in the church. Do you see it? The purpose of power is for that unfolding expansion of the kingdom of God. Not only by bringing new people into the kingdom through through salvation, but by making his enemies a footstool for his feet. And we'll see that in just a moment. So, reigning in life. Uh, But let, let, let me just back up to that previous point for just a second. It's not a coincidence that in most of those churches that have embraced the dispensational approach to understanding the scripture and the kingdom, most of those are powerless, are, are powerless places. You do, in, for, in most of those places, you do not see miracles. You do not see the gifts of the Spirit, in part because the, it, it, even if, even if, you're in a denominational setting or a theological setting where they affirm the gifts of the Spirit, if the underpinning of that are dispensational presuppositions, you've undercut the purpose of power. Even if you believe power should be available to Christians through the, uh, through the gifts of the Spirit, if, you, if, the, if you've denied the purpose of power, which is the unfolding, expanding kingdom kingship of Jesus, his rule, it's difficult to operate consistently in power when you're denying the purpose of power. You you tend to see miracles in settings in which one of three things is exalted or or given given prominence. 
before God's people. Uh, grace and the finished work of work of, of Jesus. Anytime you hold up the finished work of Jesus, you have an opportunity to see miraculous things happening. The whole the second is the Holy Spirit Himself, and the third is the kingdom, the the kingship, the rule of Jesus, by which we pray, your kingdom come or advance, expand, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if we really want to see miracles, if we really want to see power, we basically give preeminence to all three of those things. We give preeminence to Jesus, his finished work, and the grace by which we stand in that finished work. The, the, the Holy Spirit that he sent so that we could have power to expand his rule, to expand his kingdom. Reigning in life means a couple of things. First of all, it means restoration of God's original dominion mandate. It always goes back to the garden. Everything always goes back to the garden. Whenever Jesus asked somebody a question, he frequently took them back to the garden. What is that original dominion mandate? We talked about it earlier. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And then uh, in, in Psalms, the psalmist said, what is man that you're mindful of him? You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. God gave mankind this planet he gave us basically this material realm and he made us material people, spirits housed inside jars of clay that he breathed his divine life into. And after the fall, everything God did in that unfolding plan of redemption was to restore what had been lost. This is what the dispensationalists miss because they, they, when they still believe with their, with their postponed kingdom, uh, approach that Jesus was going to sit on the kingdom of on the, on the throne of David and the and the Davidic kingdom was going to be restored, but they rejected him. It was all part of God's plan, but he's coming back and he's going to sit on that Davidic throne. What the point that they miss is that Israel was never the Israelites was was never the objective. The throne and the and and Israel was never the objective. Uh, going back to, to the, the, the series I did on, on the prophetic ministry of Jesus, Israel was always a means, a means to getting Jesus into, into the earth. You had to have a people to be the seed pod to carry that seed through the centuries as the, until the time could be right, until all the legalities and all the judicial requirements were met. Then when the time was right, that seed pod could pop open and the, the restorer, that last Adam, could come out. The, the dispensationalists miss the purpose of Israel. It, they, they approach Israel and the Jewish people as if they were an end in a, of themselves when they were they they were chosen and we, we we call them rightly the chosen people but chosen for what chosen to be the seed pod that would carry the messiah into the earth for what purpose to restore what had been lost to make right what had been broken that was the purpose which is why jesus had to come and he had to come as a man and he came when he came the the fact that uh, 
the dispensationalists focus on the throne of David, and not to be confused with the tabernacle of David, which we talked about last week, which is all about being a kingdom of priests who can be both kingly and priestly uh, at the same time, which is Jesus and us. It, it completely misses the point that what God was doing in Jesus was restoring that which had been lost. The other piece of it, restoring God's original dominion mandate. Oh, and by the way, God repeated that dominion mandate again. We saw with the children of Israel, here's a land. I judicially give it to you. Now go take it. And with the, with the first disciples saying, okay, here's a wild, crazy, untamed world. When my Holy Spirit power comes upon you, I give it to you. I the world belongs to you once again. Now go take it. The other piece of it is overcoming Jesus' enemies. Restoration of God's original dominion mandate is what reigning with Jesus in life means, and it also means overcoming Jesus' enemies. There's a, there's a messianic psalm. Psalm 110 is messianic. And there's a passage in it that's repeated many times in scriptures. Jesus repeated it himself on one occasion. He quoted this psalm to some Pharisees or some, uh, uh, some religious leaders who were trying to, to trip him up. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. It, uh, and in the Hebrew, that's the, uh, the Yahweh says to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. There's several things to unpack here. First of all, this is, this is clearly universally understood as a prophetic look at the Messiah who would come, the ultimate, the ultimate son of man who would come. And we see Yahweh saying to my Adonai, Yahweh is the eternal pre-existent father God, and the Adonai is often translated Lord. So the Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Remember, remember the, um, the scripture we just read from Paul in Ephesians where he says, we are Christ's body and all things are under our feet. Tie these two passages of scripture together. And interestingly enough, the Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter, your rule from Zion the ancient land of Israel, the mountain basically of God, uh, where the temple was, your strong scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, again, I, keep to hate, I hate to keep picking on our poor dispensational friends, but if their view of the kingdom is correct, there is no ruling in the midst of Jesus' enemies. His enemies will be defeated in a, in a day and it will cease to exist at least for a thousand years. But what uh, the psalmist here is foreseeing prophetically is they're seeing a scepter, a rule that's going out from Jerusalem. And through that, this Adonai, this Lord who's sitting at the right hand until his enemies are made a footstool, is, is sitting there and his enemies are being made a footstool for his feet. Well, we don't have to guess about how to interpret this passage of scripture. It is repeated by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 12. He's talking about Jesus functioning as our high priest. And he's talking about how Jesus sprinkled his own blood on the uh, heavenly holy of holies. And then after he offered his own 
himself as a sacrifice, offered his own blood as a sacrifice, he says, but he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, sound familiar? Waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Tying directly back into Psalm 110, 1-2. So, the writer of Hebrews is telling us, the divinely inspired writer of Hebrews is telling us that what Jesus did after offering his own blood, sprinkling his own blood on the heavenly mercy seat, is he sat down at the right hand of the Father and he's waiting from that time forward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. That scepter went out, began to go out from Zion from that very moment that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the 120 who resulted in the salvation of the, of the thousands, thousands being added per day, all of them uh, receiving salvation and a filling of the Holy Spirit and that impartation of power. That scepter began to go out uh, from Zion. So that presents a question. You know, who or what are Jesus' enemies. And that's what we're gonna talk about next week. Okay, neighbor, before we bring this rodeo to an end today, let's do page three. How about I share a little insight about how you can take a deeper dive into all I have on offer for you. Well, you can, sashay on over to davidaholland.com. Now, you gotta get that A in the middle there, That at davidaholland.com you'll find a smorgasbord of stuff that will help you live the sweet life that's a life of rest and hope and meaning so until next time please remember God is better than you think and you're more loved than you know <laughs>